Last week, I woke up one morning, and the Lord was speaking four words to me. I had not read this passage of Scripture. Uh, I hadn't been studying it, but the Lord spoke four words to me when I got up that morning. And those four words were chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar. And I went and got my Bible, and I read this passage of Scripture. Actually, I looked it up on my phone as I sat on the couch and drank my coffee and said, All right, Lord, talk to me. And then Friday, I got in my home office and began studying and asked the Lord what He wanted me to share. And He gave me so much, it's going to take me two Sundays to preach it. But I'm going to preach the first part of it this morning uh, to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 9 and 10. And a lot of times I use easier to read translations, but I'm using the King James today because I just couldn't find one that said it as good as the King James Version says it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." I want to preach to you this morning part one of a sermon a series I've just simply titled, Who We Are. Who We Are. If you will, pray with me and for me this morning. Father, thank you for your presence once more. Thank you for your word. Thank you for every beautiful person represented here today and those joining us online. Lord, we pray today that you would just anoint these lips of clay to deliver your word. Anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive, Lord, what you would speak to your people today. Lord, limit and remove the distractions, if you will, that would, that would distract us from your presence and what you're speaking today. And loose your holy anointing over this house, God, that your word would go forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for it in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Who we are. It is essential for every believer to understand and to know who they are in Jesus Christ. The only person who determines who we are is us. Let me say that again. The only person who determines who we are is us. Your financial situation or your socioeconomic status does not determine who you are. Somebody help me this morning. Your job does not determine who you are. Your biological parents don't even determine who you are. The only ones that can determine who we are is us. Now, over the next two weeks, I want to challenge each and every one of us to look into God's Word. I want you to dive into God's Word with me to find out who it is that God says that we are. It really doesn't matter who society says we are. And it really makes no difference who man says that I am. Only God's opinion of me matters. Is anybody glad about that this morning? Only God's, about two people are, only God's opinion of me matters. And only God's opinion of you should matter. And we need to take some time to refocus our thoughts and remember not to look at our circumstances, not to look at our situations to determine our outcome in life, but to look to God and what God's Word says. So I'm going to say these four words again this morning because I want you to get them. Chosen, 
royal, holy, and peculiar. And those are the amazing labels that we take on as followers of Jesus Christ. But what exactly do those labels mean? Let's break it down together this morning. First of all, chosen generation. If you are chosen for something, it means that you have been intentionally selected because you are seen as the most deserving or perhaps the most capable person to perform that task. God is so confident in us that he has deemed our generation to be the one who bears his light and carries his light into this world which has become filled with so much darkness. Can I get a witness? The world that we live in this morning is filled with so much darkness. That's chosen generation. The next word that we're going to talk about this morning is royal. Royal priesthood. Now, being royal means that you are related to and have access to the same benefits and power of a ruler of a region. Now, Angie can tell you that for about the past eight or nine days, because tomorrow's the tenth day of mourning for Queen Elizabeth and her services will be tomorrow, if you care to know that. But for about the past eight or nine days, I have bored her to death with the Smithsonian Channel and the Discovery Channel and anything you can imagine. I was one of the first people probably to watch the entire series, The Crown, when it came out. I'm fascinated with things of that nature. But I want to tell you something this morning. With royal, when we think about royalty. Royal means that you are related to and have access to the same benefits and power of a ruler of a region. Many of you may not know or some of you may not know that Queen Elizabeth was never supposed to have been queen because her uncle abdicated the throne and it, then the reign fell to her dad, which was his brother. Because of that, that direct bloodline, she should have never been in the direct bloodline of the sovereign or the king. But because he abdicated the throne and his brother became the king, then that put her immediately in that same royal bloodline and she was the next heir to the throne. And so when her father passed away, at the young age of 25, she became the queen of England and reigned for over 70 years before her death last week. But I want to tell you something this morning. As fascinated as I am about the Queen of England and about that monarchy and all of that, as fascinated as I am about that royalty and that bloodline, I want to tell you something this morning. I'm thankful that this old boy was not really born into royalty by any stretch of the imagination. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, when I accepted him and he washed me in his blood, I began became a direct part of a royal bloodline. I've got an inheritance and my God is a king. He's not only a king, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You and I, you and I have access to a royal bloodline because of what Jesus Christ did. Now, in the Old Testament, he said royal priesthood. I want to talk just a minute about that word, priesthood. In the Old Testament, a priest would act as an intermediate between God and man. Nobody else could directly approach God. But after Jesus died on the cross, the good news is this morning, anybody can approach Him. I said anybody. I'm so thankful this morning. And I'm not knocking any other religions or denominations. 
I'm just telling you, I'm thankful for what I know and what I believe and what I've experienced this morning. I'm thankful I don't have to go sit in a booth somewhere and talk to some man who can take me into the presence of God. I'm thankful that I can be in my home and I can shut the door of the closet and get right in the presence of God and go right into the Holy of Holies. Because of what Jesus did, we are His children. He is the king of kings and the ruler of this whole entire universe. So that means that he's given us the title of royalty. He's given us access to his matchless power and all of the wondrous things about his heavenly kingdom. And now we're all a part of that priesthood. And we can come freely into God's presence without fear. I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But next he says a holy nation. Holiness is an expression that describes something to be set apart, to be set above, and to be made righteous through a total dedication to God, to be set apart and set above. A group of people is considered a nation when they have a common tie between them. And because we have all been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, we've all been covered by his blood. We are part of one nation, a holy nation, meant for much greater things than this world could ever offer. And lastly, a peculiar people. Being called peculiar means a couple of different things. First of all, it shows belonging. Being peculiar means specifically being a part of and representing something. It also means that you have characteristics unlike those around you. You are sometimes seen as strange or unusual. Welcome to Pentecostalism. But in contrast, not just for Pentecostals, but in contrast to a sinful world that we live in, a holy people if we're truly holy and I'm not talking about outward appearance but a holy people will undoubtedly stand out in a sinful world can I get a witness this morning but when others realize the true love and the true joy that we possess they will crave to belong to the one who gives us our peculiarity we can see, I believe this with all my heart, I believe that we can see the same change in our world that Jesus saw in his if we remember who we are. I said if we remember who we are. Chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar. I want to challenge you for the next two weeks, remember those things, recite those things, believe those things, and then you will be those things. But as we talk about that this morning, the majority of Christians feel unworthy to be used of the Lord for one reason or another. We don't feel qualified. We don't feel that we have what it takes. But I want to show you in the Bible that God thinks differently of us. I want to show you from His Word. There's several men in the Bible that felt that same way. Perhaps you might consider Moses. Moses said to God, who am I? that I should deliver your people out of Egypt. 
Moses said to God, but wait a minute, I've got a stuttering problem. Jeremiah said to God, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I cannot speak because I'm only a child. Remember that story? And then Isaiah said to God, God, I am an undone man. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among the midst of a people of unclean lips. I simply cannot do what you are asking me to do. Those are three men that God used mightily in the Bible. But you know what God's response to every one of those men was the same. Don't be concerned with who you are in the natural. Only be concerned with who is with you. And then go, God goes on to promise them, I won't leave you. I'll go before you. I'll be with you every step of the way. And we know that God never changes. So if God promises to be with these men, He promises to be with you in every area of your life. Now, I don't know if you got to be here last week or not, but if you did, you know that Sister Betty Shaver did a phenomenal job last week bringing a word from the Lord. And I tell you what, I hear some amens already. I tell you what I loved about that. You know, I've said before, uh, and I love the fact that this church is not uh, predominantly one denomination. We are such a mixture of denominations, if you even really knew. But what I loved about it was the people, some people that I thought might, you know, she might make a little nervous. After it was over, all of them was like, as a matter of fact, one of them said, I like old Betty. That's what one of them said. But everybody was like, we love Betty. Well, I don't, if you got to be here in the 11 o'clock service, I stood right there. And Sister Betty gave me a prophetic word from the Lord. And it, the Lord stirred me this week. And I had to go back to the service and look at it and listen to it and write down what she said. And this is what, what the Lord said through her to me that morning. She said, for every weapon formed against you shall never prosper, saith the Lord. For I have raised you up for such a time as this, in this place and in this season, back not up. Turn not to the left nor the right, but go forward, says the Lord, for I will be your rear guard. And that's what stuck out to me. After I watched that again this week, all week long, I've been hearing the Lord say, I've got your back. You just keep moving forward in me. I've got your back. I want to tell somebody this morning, you don't need to be concerned with what somebody else says you are. You don't need to be concerned with your inability or incapabilities that what you need to do is keep moving forward in God because God said to tell you I've got your back I will fight for you and protect you today I want to do a little bit more than just remind you that you're not alone I want to talk about some men in the Bible that knew exactly who they were and who they were in covenant with I want to talk about two men today first of all the one man probably in the Bible who was most obvious that knew who he was through God was David. And I want to start out with the most obvious courageous thing that David did and why he did it. And if you've been in church any amount of time, you know a little bit of something about this story. But we find in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 32, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, before we go on any further, let me give you a little bit of background to this story. Uh, if you don't know the story, there's this giant that was called Goliath that is threatening the people of Israel. And anytime when we study the Bible, Israel is always a type and a shadow of the church. 
and he is yelling at them, at Israel, and he's taunting them, just begging from, for somebody from their camp to come out and fight against him. And David comes out on the scene while this is going on, and he begins to question, why in the world nobody will fight this giant? Everybody in the camp is scared to death of this giant. And David comes to Saul, the king, and says, why is everybody so worried about this giant? This giant is really no big deal. Let me go out and fight him. And I want you to look at what Saul's response to David is in verse 33. He saw, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Saul says, I can't let you go out there and fight that man. You're just a kid. This giant... Uh, uh, he's not only a giant, but he's been trained since he was a child in warfare. You would not stand a chance against him. But now look, let's see what David said to Saul in verse 34 and 35. He said, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. David still has more to say after this, but I want to stop right there for just a moment. And I want to draw your attention to something that maybe you've never noticed before. In this scripture, we find that David truly knew who he was in covenant with. David says, when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose back against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck it and I killed it. He said, I wasn't afraid of that lion in the least. I took that lamb out of his mouth and then the lion tried to get up and attack me. And I grabbed him by the beard and killed him right on the spot. And I want you to notice something this morning. Most people in their right mind would never grab a line, right? Do I have any line grabbers this morning? Most people in their right mind would never grab a line. But even if you did, don't you think they would grab him by the tail instead of by the beard? But not David. David grabbed him by the beard and killed him. You know why? Because there comes a time in your life when you need to know who you are in God. And when you know who you are in God, it don't matter how big or how bad or how ugly that demon in front of you might appear to be. When you know who you are in God, you can stand up face to face, grab him face to face, look him eye to eye, and take him down. It's amazing when you think about what David did. Who would do such a thing? I tell you who, only a boy that knew who he was in God. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 36 and 37. He said, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Do you hear the confidence this morning in David's voice? This is a man that knows his God, but he also knows what his God will do with a person that is totally surrendered to him. See, that's the key. David says, Saul, don't you worry about me. This uncircumcised man, what does that mean? He's he said, this man who is out of covenant with God. Do you follow me this morning? He said, this man who is out of covenant with God has defied the armies of the living God. He doesn't stand a chance against me. Some people would say, that boy was awfully cocky, wasn't he? No, he wasn't cocky. 
He was confident in his God. This is somebody who knew his God, and he knew who he was in covenant with. I want to tell you something this morning. That's the difference in when you have a covenant with God or you don't. See, a lot of people know about God, and they go to church, and some even worship God, but they're not in covenant with God. Boy, that's quiet. They're not in covenant with God, and there is a difference when you're in covenant with God. I've got good news to share about how you can be if you're not, but instead of reading the rest of chapter 17, let me paraphrase it for you this morning. David gets out on that field, and Goliath says to him, basically this is what he says, what are you going to do? Throw stones at me? I'm going to rip your head off and feed your flesh to the birds. That's basically, read the story. That's basically what Goliath said to him. David answers Goliath and says, you're a fool. You don't even have a covenant with God. I want to remind you, Goliath, I'm a covenant man. You've come against me in your strength and your might and your power, but I come against you in the name of Jehovah God. The Bible says, if you know the story, you know. You know, they say that today. If you know, you know. The Bible says that David took that stone in that slingshot and he flung it. And the Bible says that it struck Goliath right between the eyes, but David still wasn't finished. I want you to notice, notice this. After the giant fell, David went over and he took Goliath's sword and he cut off his head. Then David took that head. I don't mean to be too gory and graphic this morning, but it is what it is. David took that head, still dripping with blood everywhere. And you know what he did? He shook it at the Philistines. That, that head that was detached from that body, still dripping blood, he shook it at the Philistines. You know what the Philistines did? It was that day's version of Chucky. They said, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm getting out of here. If you know who Chucky is, if you know, you know. But anyway, he's standing there shaking that head at them. And the Bible says that they were so scared, those Philistines turned around and ran for their life. You know why that's so significant? Because in Goliath's hand, Goliath's sword represented dominion over David. But in David's hand, the Goliath's sword represented victory through God over every enemy that comes against you. And if you're in covenant with God, you'll have enough confidence to take that sword right out of the enemy's hand and use it to cut his own head off. Because he knew he was going in the name of God. Listen, he wasn't going in his name or in Jesse's name. He was going in the name of Jehovah God. I want to tell you we're probably worse at it in Pentecost than a lot of other places. We like to say, my mama was or my daddy was. Those of you that have been in Church of God all your life know what I'm talking about. Or my great grand, or my grandmother was, and my granddaddy was. Or my great-grandmother was, and my great-grandfather was, this one or that one. But I want to tell you something. Thank God for their experience, but there's no power in the name of their experience. What matters is not who your mama is, who your daddy is. Yeah, David was the son of Jesse. But what matters is what your covenant with God is. Do you have a covenant with God? And if you have a covenant with God, God will fight your battle every single time. So we need to start holding our heads high and remind those ugly giants in our life just who we're in covenant with. Remind that devil and every 
other struggle going on in your life that God Almighty is backing you up. Like I said, God's got your back. This was just one instance in the life of David. And if we had time, I could do a whole study on his life alone and find instance after instance of him knowing who he was. And yes, David was such a good man. Some of you might say he was worthy of the Lord using him. I want to skip ahead just a few years in David's life. Ahead. I didn't say behind. Ahead. A few years in David's life and take a look at how worthy he was. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbi. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the, Hip the, Uriah, the Hittite? And then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed for her, from her iniquity. And she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. And we don't even have time to read the rest of the chapter. If we did, you'll find that David, the man we just talked about, did not just stop with adultery. He would go on to have a man killed to cover up his little secret. This doesn't sound to me like a very worthy man, does it to you? At the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find that this strongly displeased the Lord. In the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 12, we find a really harsh rebuke from Nathan. There were tremendous consequences to David's actions and his sin. Listen to your pastor this morning. Sin will never go unpunished. I don't get much help with that, do I? Sin will never go unpunished. But even after David's failure, he didn't give up. 2 Samuel chapter 12, I want you to read that when you go home today. I don't have time to read it all and see all the things that took place. After David's horrible act of disobedience against the Lord, we find his repentance over this sin. I'm going to read this quickly from Psalms chapter 51. Beginning with verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Notice, the Lord didn't let him go unpunished. The bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous, generous spirit. Then, say then, 
Then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Remember that. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You don't delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and with whole burnt offering that they shall offer from bulls on your altar. I wanted to show you this whole instance of David's failure, not to focus on his failure, but rather to focus on his repentance. Are you with me this morning? How is it that God can use a man that would do such wicked things and still say that David had a heart after God? I'll tell you how. It's because David had a repentant heart. God can do amazing and limitless things if we have a repentant heart before him. I want you to notice something. David was repenting before he said, then will I teach transgressors your ways. You want to know one of the problems in the church world today? I'm going to tell you what one of the problems is. We've got people living in sin, then trying to teach transgressors their ways. It doesn't work that way. But I want to tell you this morning, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you may have gone. If you have a truly repentant heart to God and you surrender yourself to Him, God said this. I'll use you for my glory to build my kingdom. We don't do it any other way. It's not popular today. It's not. I know people living in direct, open sin, thinking they're leading somebody else to Jesus. But you're not leading anybody anywhere except off of a cliff if you're not following God. You may be here today And you may feel like you've done too many things for the Lord to use you that way. But I want to assure you, you've probably never done what David did. I don't think we've got any adulterers and murderers. You've done both in the house this morning. But if you have, if you have a repentant heart, that's what's so good about this word. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. The Lord forgives and he justifies you. You know what that means? That means he makes you just as if you never sinned. That's what's so good about God. It's never too late to start over. And we read after this repentance that David went on to do great exploits for the Lord. And it had everything to do with his heart. And I want to talk to you about one more man this morning that knew who he was. We've spent a little bit of time in the Old Testament. So now we're going to flip over to the New Testament and see a man who knew who he was in Christ Jesus. And it's one thing to have God on your side, but it's an entirely greater thing to have God inside. I want to talk to you about the Apostle Paul. I love the confidence that the Apostle Paul had in Jesus. There is instance after instance in the Bible where we find that Paul knew who he was. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, he said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. I told you I was going to talk a little bit more about fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul was in prison and he wants Timothy to know that he's not afraid. And we're going to read why he's not afraid. And he also wants to remind Timothy that all fear, hear me this morning, all fear comes from the devil. No fear should be allowed in our lives, church. If we really know 
who our God is and who we are because of the God we serve, there is no room for fear in our lives. And this whole chapter gives us an inside peek at Paul's life and he makes no mistake in telling people how much faith he has in his God. Verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul makes it clear here that he's afflicted and later on we find out that he's persecuted and most of us don't even know what that is. But he's also not given up on the calling that the Lord has placed upon his life. He knows that the Lord has saved him not because of the good man that Paul was and he placed him in a holy calling not with any credit to him. He knows it's not by his own merits but it's nothing short of the grace and the mercy of God. Anybody thankful for the grace and the mercy of God? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11 through 14, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Paul is an amazing man. We know all of that. And he's telling Timothy, I suffer with the best of them. I go through trials. I go through struggles just like anybody else. But I know who I am believing in. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep his word. Do you have that same confidence in God this morning that you know who you're believing in and you know that he is able to keep his word. Let's flip on over to a letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian people in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 8 through 12. He said, we're hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Paul is the first one to admit that he goes through things just like anybody else. He's not trying to give you some kind of false illusion that you'll never face another trial once you get saved. And if anybody tries to tell you that, that couldn't be any farther from the truth. But what I can promise you is, is if you're saved, you can face anything you have to face in this life because of Jesus. <laughs> Paul's trying to tell the people here, if they could only realize the Jesus that they have on the inside of them, that all these things can come against you, but it won't knock you out. It might knock you down, but it won't knock you out. He's telling us that if we'll allow Jesus to reign on the inside of us, that trouble can come on every single side, but it won't affect us. We can be persecuted, but we know that Jesus will never forsake us. Life may have knocked out our feet from under us, but we are not destroyed because the life of Jesus Christ dwells on the inside of you. And we see the confidence in Paul. But if we back up a little in that same chapter, we can 
understand how Paul can be so confident. Paul makes it very clear, makes it very clear a little bit earlier on that the only way he can be so confident is because of Jesus. He makes it very clear that it has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with Jesus. We preach for Jesus' sake. We're able to shine forth the light of Christ because of Jesus. The power that we have, and I would to God that the church today would get some power. Is anybody with me? But the power, if we attain it, that we'll have has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with Jesus. The power that we have is not of ourselves, but it's of God. And Paul was confident that he was not confident in himself. He was confident in his God. Paul knew who he was without God, but more importantly, he knew who he was with God. Paul knew that no situation or person could overpower God Almighty. And because of that, Paul lived free from fear. He lived with, that, with what he told, he lived out what he told to Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He wasn't afraid of anything. The people of God should not be afraid of anything. That diagnosis, don't be afraid of it. That empty bank account, don't be afraid of it. That situation on your job, don't be afraid of it. That situation at home and in your marriage, don't be afraid of it. Why? Because you've got something you can fix it in yourself? No. But because the God you serve is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And it's according to the power that's at work in us. Paul wasn't afraid of anything. A demon-possessed woman comes to him. A demon-possessed woman comes to him. And he says, get out of here. You evil spirit. He had no fear. A snake pops up out of a burning fire and latches onto his arm. And he says, get off me, you serpent. He should have been dead from the poison. But fear didn't rule him because he knew the Jesus that he had residing on the inside of him. He had no fear. Now, I don't know if it had to do with this message or not. But you know I don't hardly ever talk to you about a dream. And I'm almost finished. But I had a dream last night. I actually had two dreams last night. I'm not going to talk to you about both of them. Just one of them, though. May have to do with this message. I don't know. I, I, like I said, I don't normally do this, but I dreamed last night that Angie and I were had some people following us, and we were on our way into a house, and right in in our path was this great big snake, and it was coiled up, laying right in our path. Now, if you know anything about me, if you want me to throw my man card in and scream like a girl and run, you put a snake in this old boy's path. I ain't going after it. I'll tell you that. Give me a gun, maybe. But I ain't going after it with a hoe or something, because if I miss, how many knows what I'm talking about? So I know that God was speaking something to me in this dream, because in this dream, I remember looking at that snake, and everybody behind me was afraid. Everybody was fearful. We can't keep going. We can't, no, no, no. And I was just, I stood there, and I studied that snake. And I was thinking about all the poisonous, venomous uh, species of snakes that, that there are. And I didn't recognize this snake as being anything poisonous. And the thought came to me as I was studying it, I thought, it's not poisonous. Don't worry about it. So this is how I know the dream was from God. Because I walked over in that dream, took my left hand, and I reached down, and I snatched that snake up by the head. And I was holding it, and it was about that long. 
And I thought, man, I did good. I've got it right by the head. Its mouth is clamped shut. And I remember looking at everybody else and telling them, it's okay. Go on in. And I held on to it while everybody went around me and went in. And then I thought, I'm just going to sling this thing off into the woods and go in and shut this door. And I went to release that snake. And when I did, it was attached right there. I never felt the puncture when it, when it happened in the dream, but it was attached. And I remember thinking, that's okay, there's no poison. And I shook it off into the woods, and I went on into the house, and then I woke up from the dream. What do you think it means? I don't really know what it means, but here's what I want to serve notice on the devil this morning. I'm not going to live my life in fear of a devil. I'm not going to let a snake in my path, because there's a lot of snakes that will get in your path when you're trying to do something for God. How many knows what I'm talking about? I'm not about to let a snake in my path make me afraid. I may be afraid of a snake in the natural. But I want to tell you something in the spiritual I'm not the least bit afraid To take that devil up by the head Sling him off and say No weapon formed against me is going to prosper Every tongue that rises up in judgment I'll condemn The word said this is the heritage Of the servants of the Lord You know what I think it meant? Because those people I'm not sure if they were you or who they were But they were going into the house and the more I preached in the 845 service, the more I felt like I knew about that dream. There's still some more people that God wants to get in the house. Can I get a witness this morning? But there's also a devil that wants to stir up something or bring up something to get in their way. But I come to serve notice on the devil this morning. This preacher didn't just get off the turnip truck yesterday. I'm persuaded that the God know in whom I have believed and the God I serve is able. And if I have anything to do about it, they'll make it into the house, into the fold and into the flock. We read in another place that Paul's in the middle of a storm and the ship's about to go under and he stands up with confidence in his voice and he says, we're not going to die from this. No man is going to die. We're going to the other side just as the Lord promised. No fear. Can I tell you something this morning? I don't know what you may be going through and they can come to the music. I don't know what you may be going through. There may be a storm in your life this morning. I don't have any idea what you may be going through, but I want to tell you something. If you started out on this boat with Jesus, don't you be afraid. We're all going to make it safely to the other side. Did you hear me? I said, don't you be afraid. If you started in this boat with Jesus, I don't care how bad the storm may look. I don't care how bad the winds may blow, the thunder may crash, the lightning may go. It doesn't matter what you may face or what you may be facing right now. If you started out in this boat with Jesus, I come to promise you today, we will make it safely to the other side. I want you to listen to what Paul tells the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know what he was saying here? He was saying as David said, God's got my back. You've heard that a few times this morning. What reason do I have to fear? The Lord is concerned about me. He gives me everything I need right when I need it. No matter what devil may come against me, if I have God for me, who can really be against me anyway? And he goes on even further and he tells the church of Rome, the Lord is on your side. He's concerned about us. And not only that, verses 35 through 39, 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Shall any of those things? He said, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, through all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Watch this. For I am persuaded that neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things going on right now, or things that's going to go on in the future, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul gives us a very clear picture here of the confidence that we should have in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning, God loves you. Let me say that again. God loves you. God loves you. And if God will help me next Sunday, I'm going to preach to you that you are somebody in Jesus. As Paul says, you are more than a conqueror. That means not you don't just conquer. You're more than a conqueror. And you need to be persuaded this morning that God loves you even in the midst of your distress, your tribulation, your trouble, your persecution, your peril, your nakedness, your famine, your sword, no matter what it is. God loves you. And because God loves you, He will see you through. But folks, in order for us to receive that, we got to get fully persuaded that God is for us. And if He's for us, what can really come against us? we got to know who we are in Christ Jesus. If you'll stand with me all over the room this morning. I hope that we can learn from the lives of these men that with man things may look impossible and they may be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I want to ask you this morning, do you really know who we are today? Do you really know who you are today? If you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus, today's the day that you can find out. If you've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, there's a room full of people right here this morning that can testify to you. Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. So if you don't know who you are in Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to come to this altar and find out. But maybe you're here today and you just need to come serve notice on the devil. I'm persuaded. I know who I am. I know that I'm chosen, I know that I'm royal, I know that I'm holy, and I know I might be a little peculiar, but I know who's on my side, I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded God is.